0: Hello friends, you're back! This is episode two of Kitty Bird's Garden Podcast and I'm your host, Kate. I'm glad I got the first session out of the way as I feel a little more comfortable today, just a bit. My son called the first episode cringy and my mom loved it, so I'm I'll take a happy medium in between. Today's show is titled Seed Starting, Winter Sowing, and 2023 Garden Planning. My son and I were driving to an activity on Monday night and I noticed someone had plant party lights up in their window. What are plant party lights? Those are the super awesome disco looking, they're bright fuchsia purple LED grow lights that people now can buy for their plants for seed starting. And they literally light up a whole room and a backyard. Like this person's does and they're super bright and pretty i love them but i was just so curious as to what they're started already because at least for here it is about 16 weeks until our last frost date of may 11th and i mean i'm getting a little edgy and really do want to start something but it's a little bit too early for me but one should never judge another on what they're growing under lights you just don't know last year it froze in mid-april so we can't Totally depend on the last frost dates. Um, usually here in the Zone 4-ish areas of Minnesota, Mother's Day is usually pretty safe to plant your tender plants and greenhouse flowers you may buy. Not always, obviously, It can freeze after that so you always should have your towels and old sheets at the ready besides your patio doors just in case you gotta run out at 10 o'clock after seeing the news, learning it's gonna freeze. If you're wondering what zones are in frost-free days, what those actually mean, zones are regional and geographical areas that are grouped by the lowest average temperature that they can go down to in the winter. Most plants are labeled for what zone they'll most likely survive. So you may see zone three, which is a lower zone, that's Northern Minnesota. Um, Zone four is us in the um, central Twin Cities, Minnesota and then Southern Minnesota can get into the fives and six sevens are these temperate zones that they can plant fall gardens sometimes over winter plants sometimes are a little jealous of them frost free days are the number of days from the last frost until the first frost so spring till fall so this can vary within a zone so it's easy it's just to google your zip code to see how many days you have to grow within knowing the actual number of days can help you choose flower and vegetable varieties and make sure that they'll grow in the time period that you have i mean sometimes you can find plants and vegetables that if they take more than 100 days you really need to hope that your fall frost doesn't show up at 100 days because you may just get like one pepper or one vegetable. So it's really hard to not be tempted to purchase some of these new varieties that are sun-abundant Southern friends get to grow and have great successes and long seasons. But if a pepper takes over 120 days until maturity, you may just get a couple peppers. And those plants get big because they take that long. So the plants get big and bushy, And if you only have 120 days of warm weather before it frosts, you're going to get 6 to 10 peppers. And really is that, you know, 3 to 4 foot space it took up. Is that worth 5 to 10 peppers that you could buy at a grocery store for a couple bucks? Probably not. You can plant a lot of green beans in that space as I have learned and I choose to do so (laughs) Um, but it does help to think about that is how big is a plant and is it worth the couple fruits or vegetables that you're going to get from it so keep that in mind I mean if you really want to try something it's gardening that's what it's for it's to try to grow new things see what they taste like um, see if you like them you know it's up to every single person what they like to do so last summer we grew some of the super hot tropical peppers like ghost peppers and Trinidad scorpions. Like, we planted all the things and really a lot of them just sort of were a waste of space. Um, the ones that took 100 to 120 days, like I said, the bushes grow really nice because they have a long season to grow, but really they had 10 or less peppers on each one. So it's not worth the time or the space that they took up. Um, it was cool to have them. Uh, we did end up drying some and just using them. I don't even know what. Mix them in with some seasoning, I think. Um, habaneros and jalapenos really grow really well here because they're 75 and 90 days um, for both. And so they have a nice, nice season. The bushes get nice and big, and we get plenty of fruit from those. And a little secret is habaneros, they really keep the squirrels away from the sweet peppers. So if you want to get more sweet peppers and want to keep the squirrels out of your garden, plant some habaneros around them. It really works. We had those growing up until um, it frosted, like a hard-killing frost. They lasted that long. And so if it was warmer for longer, they would have kept kept growing because there was plenty of smaller fruits on there that were still green, so they weren't edible really, but there was plenty. They really liked it. If we do the hot, super hot varieties again, um, I think we're going to put them in patio pots or like those big grow bags. i got a couple of those just so that they're mobile. And if we do have an early frost or just start getting some cold nights, but the days are still super hot. So we can, you know, bring them up on the deck so it's a little warmer or even bring them inside if we really need to. So we're going to try that, see if that works, see if it's worthwhile maybe we'll get 20 or 30 peppers out of these plants because some of them can grow four to six feet and just prolific if it's the right space and temperature so we never know gardening is an experiment so I highly suggest reading your seed packets and even looking up on the internet looking up growth habits and looking at pictures because sometimes they don't say how tall or how big plants are going to get and if you're hell-bent on growing something that you saw someone down in Texas or Arkansas you should look it up and see how it grows. And then thing too, my season's not as warm. It may be shorter. So you might get something or it may not be as good as you think it could be. And then you can just buy them or, you know, wish them luck. (laughs) What we do here in Minnesota, which is I'm a zone 4B, so it's a slightly warmer zone 4, I guess, Um, just a teeny bit, 5, 10 degrees maybe. Um, We try to work around our short growing seasons by doing two things. One, starting our seeds inside a couple weeks before the last frost date. And most seed packages do tell you um, when you can start it before the last frost date, because unless you're in one of those really warm climates, um, peppers, tomatoes, most things need to start a couple weeks before we can put them outside. Because even then, our ground is not warm enough for the roots to really take hold grow so that's why we start things inside I think the average um, is six to eight weeks for most things Um, some peppers and tomatoes you can start you know ten to twelve weeks before your last frost Um, just depends on the variety of vegetable or flower Uh, one thing to remember is the earlier you start the more you're gonna have to pot up um, because the plants do get bigger just because they take so long doesn't mean they don't grow I mean once they start growing, they get tall. So you can pinch off some things and some things you don't want to pinch off. We've had years where you have had to take out shelves in the greenhouse just so our plants still needed to be in there for a couple of weeks, but they were reaching up into the next level. You sort of have to count backwards is how many of the biggest pots you have can fit on a tray and then think about, do I need to remove one of the shelves in order for the super tall things to fit? So just count backwards from what you can totally fill it up with and then um, divide up what you want to grow by that. I actually had to buy a second greenhouse because most of the plants that I did start ahead probably a little too early got really big and I think we had a cool spring too so I just had to keep them in longer than normal so I did have to take out shelves and some things ended up living on the floor and so (laughs) just be prepared to do it I mean these inside metal and plastic essentially it's a tent over the little metal setup those are they're anywhere from 40 to 60 dollars they're not very big they're they can be anywhere from three feet wide to maybe almost six feet tall. So they just sort of fit in front of a window or you can shove them in a corner and you just buy yourself some grow lights and you have a nice little setup. And unless you have vast windows in a Southern exposure area, you need to have grow lights and probably a greenhouse in order to ensure that the plant babies get enough light and moisture each day to grow because plants do require, um, you know, eight to 12 hours of light to really get going produce leaves and just grow their best sprout life (laughs) Uh, providing enough light will keep them from getting leggy you know it's it's when your little tiny sprouts get super tall and then they only have two leaves and then a lot of times they just sort of shrivel up in the middle and die so that's called damping off some people say because it's too wet but some people say it's because it's they're leggy so i don't know what it is but you can look that up short stout plants are preferred when they're small and starting so they get a solid stem and good leaf structure Another helpful thing are seed mats. So they give you a jump start on sprouting seeds. Some seeds like pepper seeds need heat. They need it to be really warm in the dirt and they need it to be moist. So seed mats can keep things at a good 10 degrees warmer than the ambient temperature. So if your house is around 70 degrees, the heat maps will keep uh, the dirt around 80 degrees, which is you know, perfect for starting peppers and tomatoes and anything that loves the heat. You gotta remember that a lot of these plants are tropical plants that have been hybridized do live in our colder areas for very short seasons. <laughs> so having those mats, they can get days off of the days to germination number listed on your seed packets. So a lot of time that's anywhere from 7 to 14 days that the packets say, but if you put things on a heat mat, it can just be 5 to 7 days. Some things will sprout, so it does save you some time if you need to. Let's see, also I'll link my grill lights and my indoor greenhouses and seed mats that I've used before I'll put those links in the show notes of this episode the second thing that we northern growers can do is winter sow you've probably seen the hashtag or you know reels or you know mentions of this on the local news or on Instagram any of the things any of the things people are doing this probably starting now in some early in some areas I think it's a little early for here I mean Minnesota's frozen right now it doesn't doesn't really matter. There's not a lot of sun. Um, We keep getting more snow, uh, which you do want snow for this process, but I think people could wait a little while in order to find a a decent spot that's not gonna get more snow to cover everything (laughs) because you don't want to lose it. Um, So what is this magical thing I speak of? So it's actually a pretty cool process. You save milk jugs or water bottles or larger juice jugs. Um, You wash them, of course. Drill a couple holes in the bottom. And then you cut them in half, but you leave, it works out nicely if you leave uh, anywhere from two to three inches not cut by the handle side. So you can sort of open it on a hinge, if that makes sense. When it is generally the coldest part of the late winter, um, you know, February, early March, uh, you actually put dirt in the bottom, you know, two or three inches, you plant seeds, you get the soil a little bit wet, not too wet, you don't really need it that much. And then you close the lids, lids meaning the top half of the jug, and you tape it shot with duct tape. And you're essentially, you're creating a mini greenhouse because the sun will heat it up inside. You set these in snow. And so those will soak up the dampness from the snow and keep the soil just wet enough while it's still frozen outside. Um, and as the season, as the weather warms up, the snow and rain will water the dirt. And oh, and you want to keep the top off, like the actual screw tops. Don't put those back on, throw those away, or recycle those. You don't want to close this up because it needs to be like a greenhouse and have ventilation. And be sure to label because these all look the same in the snow. <laughs> and so the snow and the rain will gently water the dirt through the top. The tiny hole, it works. Somehow they, it all gets moist, and then it also gets moist through the bottom, because as it warms up, snow melts, the ground warms up. Um, they preferably would be in a slightly sheltered southern-facing location, just so you get more sun, because there is no sunlight. In Minnesota to grow anything at this time. The more you can get the better. Uh, When the days are getting longer the sun will get warmer and we'll have more of it, so more hours of sunlight each day, and the the snow will melt um, and just inside the carton it'll start to warm up. And once it hits the perfect temperature for these cold hardy seeds, um, herbs, perennial flowers, they will sprout. It can freeze at night. Um, It'll be nice and warm during the day from the sun. And as they do get older, It will dry out a little bit, especially if your snow starts to melt wherever they are. So you do want to water it if needed or spritz in the container. You can even open them up when it starts to really warm up because it'll get hot there and you don't want to cook your sprouts. (laughs) Once again, be sure they're in a good spot. Last year, I had mine in a southern area, good for light, but it wasn't very protected from the wind. And we just didn't have enough snow where that was. And they ended up blowing all over the place. The dirt and the seeds got all mixed up. It was a mess. not much grew some onions and kale and herbs that survived their tumble in their container they did grow just fine they always grow but I am NOT going to do the same spot so um, I will remember that we all learn from our mistakes and I sent just to keep notes so you remember what happened or what you thought of doing the next time it is is cold-hardy early spring plants that grow well and those are the ones that you can actually plant in the dirt when a lot of these seed packets say uh, plant when you can work the soil so it is still darn cold you know usually you know mid-April the soil is workable it's very cold but things like kale, onions, spinach, lettuces, some herbs. Perennial flowers will also um, go through this and grow pretty well. Um, A lot of perennial plants and herbs prefer and need a cold stratification period which is when it's cold moist and essentially their seeds freeze. They need that in order to produce a plant the next year and to even flower. So you can think of Echinacea purpurea. That generally takes a year to flower. So sometimes you can force it by, you know, giving it a cold stratification through winter sowing and you might get a flower the first year. It's not gonna be very big. Like you should let the plant grow a little bit, um, but you may get a flower that first year. Second year, they'll go bonkers. You don't want to use root vegetables because think of these, you don't want to, you know, disturb their roots, Uh, radishes, kohlrabis, early carrots, um, spring peas, um, anything else that literally says on the packet do not so in or so ahead of time in transplant because they don't like their roots bothered. A lot of these two are super short growing, like radishes take 25 to 30 days. I think you can just wait till it's radish season, April. You know, when the ground is workable, you can plant them and they'll grow just the same. Let's see, what do I got next? Oh, a good tip is if you have a hard time collecting enough milk or juice jugs because maybe you're single or you just don't drink milk or juice, um, ask your neighbors or coworkers or friends. Just ask anybody, do you have any spare milk jugs or juice containers? That they could share with you. Uh, Most people will be like, sure, I just usually throw them in my recycle bin. So it's not a hassle for most people, just probably remembering. So if you know when it's recycled in your neighborhood, you could just ask the day before any of your neighbors, say, hey, do you have any milk jugs for me? Can I have it? Thank you. (laughs) It always works nicely to offer some of the final veggie spoils or plants or flowers once they're ready to harvest. And you can say, hey, I used your milk dog to grow this kale. So thank you. They'll appreciate that. Speaking of harvest, let's talk about what new seeds I've already ordered and received. I ordered before Christmas. I was ahead of the game here. (laughs) I'm also going to give my opinion and just some tips on each company and a little review of seed packet design so these are important tools the seed packets they have pictures they tell you what to do they have important technical information i think a review is due on these important tools in gardening and i definitely have my favorite the first company is baker seed baker creek seed their website is rare seeds .com, I believe they have a couple different names they use. Um, they're from Missouri. The pros of their packets are that they have bright photographs, detailed descriptions, um, and company-wide they have a really large variety of international varieties. So if you are looking for more Asian salad, greens, um, different different ethnicity beans, they have a lot of those. A lot of, lot of things to choose from. So that's a really cool um, catalog to get. It's brightly colored. Um, The color thing is also a con for them because sometimes the colors are overly edited. Um, So like Photoshop is used a lot on some of their seed packets and then you may buy some of these beautiful looking flowers and they are not the color shown or listed at all. Um, One example is some of the nasturtiums. They come looking, the package looks beautiful coral and pinky corals and fuchsias and they're just bright red. So I don't know if it's a variety issue or you know, over editing of the packets, I don't know, I can't tell you. But that's one thing to look out for is uh, the colors may not be exactly the same as what's on the packets. So just keep that in mind. And also, they don't list days to harvest. And I have a lot of different things from them. And I cannot find on most um, a days or maturity number. So that's an important thing to know, because like I just spoke about earlier, in the podcast was how many days do we have to grow. So that is a very important number. I've had to look up every single thing I've bought from there to see the days to harvest. And I usually write it on the back of the seed packet. So use your seed packets. I don't know many people that use up a whole packet each year. So I write notes, I write down the missing information. And so I suggest doing that, it's very helpful. This year, my newest things from Baker Creek are a pink Senorita Zinnia. And that's one of those shaggy cactus varieties. So it's just the the shaggy petals, um, the pink looks. Like a pinky coral which i always love so i'm hoping they turn out that way and then i also got what some of the queen lime orange um, i'd rather they be not so orange but you never know but these uh, zinnia varieties they come in all kinds of different crazy colors and shapes so they're always fun and there's also a cosmos apricota which is a it's a lighter fuchsia cosmos not the usual at least the cosmos that i always see are just basic pink and sort of lavender color but these are just pretty pink and they're fluffy they have the ruffly the ruffly um, feathers i was going to say ruffly petals (laughs) so that's what i got from baker creeks this year oh and i got some different lemon balms too um or bee balms i should say bee balms they had some different bee balm varieties uh different colors of purple I got the spotted bee balm which is a green and purple variety it looks like they're the double flowers and then i also got a lemon bee balm which is supposed to have a lemon flavor to it Uh, and that's a nice fuchsia purple color it looks like the stacked double flower looking ones also and then the next company that i ordered from is mi gardner Um, some people call it my gardener but it's mi gardner because it's from michigan Makes sense, right? And so the pros of their packages are they're bright, uh, they're just close-up photos, pretty naturally colored, it looks like the thing that you're going to grow. Um, they have decently descriptive details, they show the zones that this plant will grow in, and the plant height, which is, like I said before, it's very important. Uh, so they have everything you need on their packet. Um, also, their website is really good, it has a lot of information. The owner actually has a really good YouTube channel, if you just look up Garner. So they have all kinds of gardening tips and tricks and talking about different varieties. So it's a fun one. Um, And like I said, not really anything, no cons for their packets that I can really see. And so the next one is Johnny Select Seeds. And they're out of Maine. So way on East Coast. Um, pros, lots of technical information. A large variety of hybrids also available on their sites. This company is actually a commercial seed provider also. They mostly sell uh, large quantities for market gardeners, uh, large growers, greenhouse growers. So you want to keep that in mind because their packets do not have pictures. They are very technical. So talking about seed spreading, um, Dimensions, so it is dealing with machinery for a lot of these but they do have the basics they oh they also don't list a plant height but if you're a professional buying from them you probably know how tall your plants are going to be so these two I also have to write on them um, if tomatoes are determinate or indeterminate um, how high things are getting but they do have days to maturity so that's included that's that's always nice to have um, so yeah if you're looking for just different varieties of hybrids. Um, Check with them because they do have a lot of different ones and a ton of information on their website too. So they're great to buy from. The next one is Seed Savers Exchange and they're out of Iowa. So I tend to think they're more local to me since I'm in Minnesota. Um, Pros to their packaging is they're natural looking photos of plants. They're pretty basic. Um, They do have nice detailed descriptions. Sometimes they say um, the project, what is it? I don't know if they forget the word of the history of where the seeds came from. Um, that's always interesting to know. Um, and like I said, they are more local, so hi- not hyper local. They're slightly state regional local. <laughs> um, they're also a non-profit, non-profit dedicated to heirloom seeds, and they also have an exchange trading platform that, if you're a member, and I think you just have to register. Maybe I am a member, and I've donated some money to them before. You have access to the exchange, the trading platform where people post what seeds they have for sale or trade. Um, and you so you can train with people locally to your areas. A lot of heirloom seeds, people will save the ones that grow well where they are. So that's always a nice thing to search out if you're having issues with commercial seeds that don't want to grow where you are. Maybe you'll find somebody in your state or even closer to you who's had some good luck with heirloom seeds. And the cons, they don't list plant heights either. And I don't know why that's such a big thing to me. Probably because I'm short maybe (laughs) or I don't have a ton of tomato cages or I don't like trying to add tomato cages when it's too late that's probably why. Next is Botanical Interests and they're out of Colorado they have beautiful hand-sketched plant renderings on their packets so they're fun to shop fun to buy full color and to me they look pretty natural it shows what the plant is some of them have some floofy stuff with them but the packets include all the information you could need plus there is more on the inside. There's suggestions, uh, tips for using the plant, so much information. You don't even need the internet for this company's seed packets. Uh, this website has great blog posts and informa- like more information about using these plants, and they have a great variety. I usually find a new plant um, every year. They have some interesting things. Uh, let's see, the cons, the extra information is inside the packet, so you have to rip it open in order to read it or if you can try to read what's inside I've tried I can't read everything (laughs) so that's the only con is you got to tear open the packet and if you haven't used up all the seeds it's sort of unable to get to but still I think they're by far my favorite seed packet just because they're so pretty Um, and it's a smaller company too so I like to support the smaller companies some new varieties I'm getting of tomatoes from botanical interest so I'm trying to find a good piece tomato I have tried a bunch of different ones, but I'm really going to try and focus and take notes and compare a couple different varieties. So from botanical interests, I have the Italian Roma Bush Roma, and that is a determinate type and should be ready in 80 days. So I'm going to try and pay attention to the calendar for these to actually see if they're pretty true to that. This next one is also a Bush Roma, and it's called Supremo, and that's a hybrid. That is a 68 days, so that is a whole week or more earlier than the other Romas. These are determinants. So I'm almost hoping that I will have tomatoes for three or four weeks straight, but a continuous amount so I can do some decent canning and not have to pick and freeze a bunch in order to have enough to do a canning session. Um, I also grabbed a San Marzano and this I think is a real at least I say it's a real classic Italian paste tomato. So it says it's heirloom. It's a pole Roma, which means it's indeterminate and it will grow wherever it wants to go. So this one I'm going to try and put on a trellis, maybe up a bean pole, and then onto a fence or something, trying to really support it. Because I've had tomatoes that their tallest pieces can grow 12 to 15 feet if they like their spot and they have some space to climb. So they are climbers if you let them. So I'm hoping that one will um, just be a good fill-in for these other two. And this is also aroma so lots of different Romas just trying to find a good favorite to to cling to (laughs) all right another tomato again from botanical Interest. I guess it was on a tomato kick with them I found a super early one it's called Glacier so this one is a 55 day from transplanting uh, cherry tomato so we shall see this one is from I think it says Sweden so you know there's a bunch of Swedes and Norwegians in Minnesota I feel partial to trying fruits and vegetables that grow there probably will grow here pretty well early cherry that's always nice to have um, to start off an early salad season because it's such a pain when your lettuce is dying when your tomatoes are finally ready i didn't say what i got from my gardener i had a bunch of herbs from them a perennial native species i got anise st john's wort i got a lemon mint marshmallow and a fun one spelanthes the toothache plant it's one that numbs your mouth so i don't know i just wanted to try it because It looks fun and fenugreek let that for some tea so a lot of herbs from my gardener some new peppers i'm trying are the sugar rush peach pepper that's from bigger and i've seen it on multiple youtube gardeners and they look good and they say they grow well so i'm going to try them they're an 80 day pepper so that should grow just fine where we are and then oh but I read a couple times that this thing, the sugar rush, can grow five to six feet tall. I'm assuming that's in the proper tropical environment, but many people say to cage it. So I'm going to cage this pepper just to make sure it stays standing tall. <laughs> the next one is the shishito pepper. Also, I learned about it from different YouTube gardeners. People just saute it. It's an Asian pepper, a Japanese heirloom it's called. Not called, but considered a good sautéer. We do lots of good um, vegetable sautés and stir-fries, so they should be pretty good. And this one is, uh, I think, a 60 to 80 day. Oh, this one's 80 days. So yeah, so they should be ready at the same time. Um, add some nice color to the pepper supply, so I'm excited to try those. We're also doing our normal jalapenos, habaneros, um, and the the orange bell peppers I get from Johnny's that grow insanely well for some reason in my in my raised beds they're a hybrid that was the glow f1 og so no seed saving for these ones Um, f1 just means the first filial first something or other it's just the first generation of this plant and so it is not an heirloom so you can't save the seeds because it'll grow one of the parents not the actual beautiful orange pepper but the plants grow prolific and it was nice big peppers Um, so i'm going to do those again and that's it uh, for new things. I mean, granted, I have plenty of other new things, but things worth mentioning. Usually, I try just different varieties of beets because I love a good beet. It's my favorite, favorite root vegetable besides carrots. I don't grow carrots. I don't. I don't think my raised beds are composted enough down. I started them with a hugel culture method. I love saying that hugel culture. I don't know. <laughs> and there's a lot of dead wood, chunky wood in there, so I don't know if there'd be. a a soft enough space yet for it to grow longer carrots. I think I'm going to wait another year or two to make sure all that stuff is broken down. Yeah so that is what I'm going to grow and hopefully I won't spend any more money on seeds. I have a metal lockbox that I keep my seeds in. I'm not sure what else it would be used for. It's super old. It's you know one of those big metal boxes you find in people's garage sales. That's exactly where I found it and it's perfect for seeds. So that's what I use for my seed storage. Some people use picture cases like scrapbooking things but i'm not going to spend all that money on plastic containers i just found a box at a rummage sale (laughs) and it works just fine i actually need a bigger one but i can also go through my seeds and get rid of ones that i don't use and or i feel maybe too old except there's probably never a too old seed thing will grow out of a bunch all right next topic Ooh, regarding seed labels, um, how companies advertise. And so I wanted to clarify something and get a little nerdy. I had to do a little research too to make sure I wasn't saying anything that wasn't true. Maybe for new gardeners or even experienced gardeners, it's about the non-GMO label that people get their onions in a bunch about. They get all excited. Um, They love to say that their seeds and plants are non-GMO. Well, I'm gonna blow your mind there are actually no GMO seeds that are available to the general public to grow food vegetables period they are not available Uh, GMOs aka genetically modified organisms are in commercial field crops so corn soy sugar beets and only 10 other things yes there are only 13 GMO crops registered with the United States and within the USA GMO crops most of them are for animal feed so take it for what it means to you. So don't pay for that label or think that those seeds are any better than those that don't scream the non-GMO label. I've seen packages that cost more because it says non-GMO on them. Everything is non-GMO. <laughs> but I don't know. It may have come from um, back in the 90s. Uh, that's when the Safe Seed Pledge started. And that was a tactic in the 90s from the Council for Responsible Genetics, a supposed nonprofit of genetic and DNA activists and advocates. It doesn't actually exist anymore in the United States. I think there's a offshoot in the UK. But that's an interesting thing to look up. <laughs> the pledge was for companies to differentiate themselves and offer an alternative an alternative to what i don't know because nothing else existed at that time that's what that is all about so some of the older companies you will see on their pages or listed somewhere that they sign the safe seed pledge well that's what it's from enough time has passed i think a lot of younger people just don't know what that's about uh, but they might feel that companies that sign a pledge is you know Nice, it gives a whiff of good intentions that we want all of our favorite seed companies to have, because we want to know where our food comes from and we want to know and think that it's safe. Um, Trust me, bioengineering, which is what GMO is called nowadays, (laughs) that can probably reach end consumer seeds someday. at this point we don't know if that would be a good or a bad thing i think there are plenty of decent alliances nonprofits and other groups that are doing the good work of seed saving um, especially working on regionally based seeds and hybrids that maintain the awareness about the strength and importance of heirlooms that may just keep the need for bioengineered seeds to be a non-event you think we don't need to be scared about planting a damn green bean from the dollar store which I've had some very good harvest from dollar store seeds that don't have a real name on them. They don't list a real variety. They grow beans, they're delicious. But I think we don't need to be freaked out or even excited over the term non-GMO because it doesn't really mean anything. So I think more clarity needs to be conveyed uh, more about the terms of hybrid, organic, and heirloom and what they mean instead of fear-mongering with GMO acronyms, hashtags, and higher praise tags. That's my soapbox about non-GMO. <laughs> um, you can look into that government websites fda sites have a lot of useful information it really explains a lot of stuff so i did read a lot of my information from there and clarified my own thoughts about it too so it makes sense i mean it is what it is uh so but there's some interesting examples of bioengineered food (laughs) so i I found some two more palatable examples Um, one is a pink pineapple pink pineapples do not exist in nature naturally. So they've been engineered to have higher amounts of lycopene, which is the red compound in tomatoes, and also carotenoids, um, which is also the orangey color, to change the yellow color of a pineapple to pink. It is just for fun. Literally, it's just to turn it pink. I guess the flavor is a bit different too, maybe. They're also thirty to forty dollars each. They cut off the crowns, like the actual green spiky tops, so that you can't grow them. Only Del Monte in Costa Rica can grow them, and only two online retailers can sell them in the United States. So it's a bit secretive, interesting, for an influencer pineapple. That's that's it. It's super fun. (laughs) Another one, another interesting one um, that does make you think a little bit about it, is the Hawaiian papaya industry was saved by a bioengineered variety that was resistant to a virus that had decimated the crop through the 90s. So is there anything wrong with that? I'm not sure saving a crop i'm not sure if that's good or bad if it bothers you maybe don't eat it consumers generally control the markets of the world so we all have our own choices to make and things to be passionate about make your own choices educate yourself like read reputable sources not everything on the internet is correct so make sure your internet choices come from maybe more research and education sources Don't judge others when they choose different things or care about different things either. I mean, some people are passionate about, you know, not eating overly processed, you know, corn filled, whatever, you know, it's their their decision. It's almost time or maybe it is time in your area to start getting your seeds organized i don't know but i get a special kind of joy and get really excited about laying out my seeds for my first planting in the inside greenhouse i mean literally my floor is covered and my desk is covered with seeds right now i'm not going to plant anything for a couple weeks though. i think but i'm ready <laughs> so i encourage you to check out the podcast episode webpage for more links to the seed companies i mentioned um probably some winter sewing tips And a link to the pink glow pineapple, because I'm sure everybody, thank you for listening today. I really appreciate it. And um, once again, I'll put all the links for my seed starting tools and paraphernalia at the bottom of the show notes. And then you can also check that stuff out on the website. Remember, the world is your garden. You can flourish wherever you're planted.